Welcome to the Culture of Christ podcast. My name is Andre Kimo Stone Guess. Culture of Christ is a platform that has a very simple purpose, and that is for us to love God and love our neighbors ourselves. My co-host, Brother John X. Miller, co-founded the platform with me. Our guest today is John Mark Hatt. John Mark and I, we go way back. We went to high school together many, many years ago. so to give you a sense of how long we've known each other, we've known each other longer than we haven't known each other. So that'll give you some sense. Mm-hmm. Of and uh, John Mark and I, we, uh, we had a discussion a few months back, and we've been discussing things as it relates to Christ and the culture of Christ for a while. He was one of the first people I contacted when I came up with this idea many years ago, along with the other John on this, the, my co-host, John X. Miller. We, uh, we talked about what it really meant to walk with Christ and, and be and live out the whole notion of love God, love your neighbor as yourself. And earlier this year, I wrote a piece on another platform, my, my family platform, Educated Guesses, called The Big White Lie. And The Big White Lie is a term that I use to denote uh, uh, white supremacy because I believe like the N-word, I don't use the N-word anymore. And I also don't use that term anymore because I think the term of white supremacy uh, gives too much power to racism by saying white and supreme in the same sentence. So I, I call it the big white lie because white supremacy is that. It's a lie. Uh, there's nothing supreme about one human being over another. God is the only one that is supreme. And so when John Mark and I began to have a discussion about this piece that I wrote uh, for my, my family website, he began to talk about wanting to write something himself as it relates to the culture of Christ and how he calls it my big white lie. So, John Mark, I want to kick it to you. Number one, introduce yourself to the folks, tell them a little bit about yourself, and then talk about why you really wanted to write this piece and what you were talking about in the piece. Thanks, Andre. It's uh, it's such a pleasure to be with you and John uh, on, on this podcast, and I, I'm just so grateful for the invitation. Um, I uh, professionally, I uh, loan money uh, to small businesses in Eastern Kentucky from a nonprofit uh, community development financial institution called the Mountain Associations, based in Berea, Kentucky. And um, uh, avocationally, I am uh, uh, intimately involved in reentry and serving sisters and brothers coming out of incarceration uh, through an organization for which I serve as board chair called Mission Behind Bars and Beyond. And um, and that's a hugely important part of my life in ministry. Um, and so I'm happy to get that plug in on the on this podcast, especially. But um, the uh, what what occurred to me during the discussion with you, Andre, about the big white lie is um, how pervasive and extensive and insidious uh, that big white lie is in the lives of of uh, white folks. Um, I happen to have come from a very atypical background. Uh, I was raised, uh, and, and I'll explain what I mean by that. I was raised by a single mother uh, who, um, uh, because my father was killed in a car crash when I was four years old, I was raised by a woman who, um, modeled and practiced what I've come to understand to be radical hospitality. Uh, she was, uh, she was one who opened our home to the participants of a volunteer program that, uh, in which she served, uh, called Friendship International that was designed to help families moving here from other countries, uh, moving to Louisville from other countries, assimilate and, and, and get adjusted and become part of the community. So I grew up in this home where uh, my mother is also a musician. I grew up in this home where uh, it was a regular occurrence for me to uh, eat with people that ate different foods than I did and listen to different music than I did and called God something different than what I did. And uh, that instilled in me that same sense of radical hospitality and, uh, and, and just a real curiosity about 
the diversity of God's sacred creation. Um, I um, have spent time, uh, like I said, volunteering in uh, in a ministry that serves the needs of women and men coming out of incarceration, uh, a, a grossly disproportionate, <clears throat> excuse me, a grossly disproportionate number of which we know are people of color. Um, I have a, a niece and a nephew who uh, are both biracial and uh, who the world recognizes as African-American. I've got, I, I went to one of the most highly integrated public high schools uh, in, uh, in, in Kentucky. Uh, I've got, you know, what I have always recognized to be uh, pretty, pretty significant. And, and I'm saying this with a smile on my face because of, I know how absurd it sounds, but pretty significant race relation credentials. Uh, but in this moment in time, I, I've, I've, prior to, um, the past year, I've, I've always thought of myself in those terms. Um, but what I've come to recognize at, at this moment in time is that uh, none of that is sufficient. None of that is sufficient for me to fulfill the call that I have uh, to model um, radical hospitality for other people. Um, radical hospitality is what I think Jesus practiced when um, he was willing to engage with all kinds of people, um, people that he liked and people that he disliked, uh, willing to sit down and break bread with them. And um, I've, come to, I've come to recognize that the way that I've been lying to myself is that all of those uh, boxes, all, all of those credentials that I just listed, all of those boxes I just checked, they're not sufficient in this at at this time i'm 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 called to something higher and um and i honestly I believe that my rest in that big white lie um, was actually even if it wasn't a uh, a conscious example on my part it 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 was an example of um white supremacist thinking in my own life, uh, that, that somehow I had attained, um, uh, a substantial enough status in, uh, relations with, uh, uh, people of color that I didn't need to move any further. Um, but it's clear now that I do, and I don't know exactly, uh, where that takes me, but I do know that my heart and my mind have to be open to move in directions uh, that I had not anticipated in the past. You know, talk a little bit about, you talk about your upbringing and your mom being a musician and how you were exposed to different people and different cultures within the context of, of Christ, within the context of the church, because one of the things that we know um, in the United States anyway, that 11 a.m. on Sunday morning is one of the most segregated hours. You know, King talked about that, one of the most segregated hours of the week, if not the most segregated hour. And talk about how important it is from a cultural standpoint in the worship experience to get outside of your comfort zone as a Christian in order to sort of get past the cultural, the cultural things that, that lend itself to racism and separation in general. Yeah, I, you know, I think that I, I don't know for a fact, Andre, that my mother would have uh, knew uh, about the extreme segregation of the worship hour. I, I think there's a good chance that she probably did. And I have to believe um, uh, that that in large part was um, a big part of her motivation to intentionally and deliberately engage with people from other places, uh, uh, from other countries, other lands. Um, that the, uh, the thing about being present with, uh, people that, uh, in, in a worship context for me, um, that's so critically important, uh, even people that I don't know from backgrounds that I don't share or and experiences I haven't had is that, um, the, 
the openness that's created in that space, the the willingness and open-mindedness that come as a part and parcel of that space, if we are worshiping from a place of the unconditional love that Jesus models for us and and so clearly describes for us and so strongly calls us to, um, it, it might sound trite or cliche, but uh, it lends itself to um, um, a context of, of, uh, of, of family and depth of connection that's really uncanny and indescribable. Uh, it, it lends itself to a comfort um, in knowing that um, by following that call to unconditional love and being in the same space as others who have committed themselves to, to following that call. Um, it, it, it's like it prized, prized my heart open, prized my mind open and uh, enables me to, to not just give it, but it enables me to receive it from other people. I took my mother, my mother is still with me. She's, she's, uh, she's 87 years old now. And uh, she has dementia and she can't, um, she can't remember what she said, you know, 30 seconds ago, but she's still able to recall uh, distant memories, uh, things that happened a long time ago. And, and more importantly than that, she's still able to very clearly describe her own relationship and, and spiritual journey. And um, year before last on her birthday, I think it was on her birthday or maybe mother's day. It was, it was, uh, it was the week that Aretha Franklin died. I, I, I live about an hour and a half away from, from my mother. And I know it was the week, the week Aretha died because, um, I took my mother to uh, a church in the West end of Louisville that day. And, uh, um, you know, knowing that that worship experience was, was going to be real enjoyable for her, uh, if for no other reason, because of the music. And, um, and we were really blessed by this gifted vocalist uh, singing uh, Respect, Aretha Franklin's Respect during the worship service, uh, because they were paying homage to, to Aretha. And um, the experience that we both had of, um, of being welcomed and um, what was just a demonstration of, well, it was, it was that unconditional love in action. It was that love without question, um, without qualification, uh, without uh, a prerequisite. And, um, and, and I think and you mentioned, um, more, you mentioned the West End of Louisville, yeah. the West End of Louisville. Louisville is what we call the West End is the, is the major black neighborhood in the city. Louisville is a, a very segregated city. So when we talk about West Louisville, we're talking about the, the black neighborhood. And was it St. Stephen that you went to? Yeah, it was St. Stephen. Yeah, it's one of the larger black to. churches in the city. Yeah. And, and, and uh, just, just as, you know, as an example of uh, the environment I was raised in, uh, that um, um, it's so critically important that I'm, uh, that I'm, that my awareness of the immeasurable size of God, that my, my appreciation for the incredibly indescribable beauty of the diversity of, of sacred creation, um, including, you know, both human and non-human creatures. It's, it's, it's imperative for me to, uh, to be constantly reminded of that, uh, through exposure, um, uh, through direct exposure, not, not just through reading books and watching television shows and listening to podcasts, but I'm talking about getting in the same space as people. It's, um, that's, that's necessary for me, uh, to be, uh, to be properly and adequately reminded of just how immeasurably big God is. And, and, and along with that, how big that love is, how big that unconditional love is. You know, sharing that same space is much easier said than done. John, well, I got two Johns on here. I'm sorry. 
John Miller. <laughs> John, you know, speaks, John's a little older than us, so speak to your experience in terms of, of particularly as it relates to race relations and uh, the cultural barriers, if you will, of the church, uh, particularly in worship and how, uh, and how it was and how it sort of needs to be, or if it's still the same kind of way that it was when we were really segregated back when we weren't necessarily allowed to be together, if you will, and then how we see it now and, and what opportunities or barriers are there going forward? Well, that's, that's a lot to, to, to articulate, but, but let me start with my upbringing, which is a Catholic upbringing in, in the South. I uh, went to a black Catholic church, uh, black elementary school. Uh, all the students were black, all the nuns and the priests were white. And so uh, in that environment growing up, uh, I didn't uh, feel as if there was a outside of the, the Christian experience that there was a black and a white, right? Because the nuns and the priests cared for these black children just uh, as if they were white children, uh, just as if they were children of any color. And so I didn't feel that discrimination or the, the prejudice from them directly. And that's how we judge people as we grow up, uh, how we interact with people immediately in our, in our sphere, spheres of influence. And so as I got out of that and, and moved beyond the church and beyond elementary school, uh, I began to see the racism and the perpetuation of it because the city that I lived in and grew up was a, a city called Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Uh, it was a, it was the hub of uh, tobacco in America. Uh, cigarettes were named after the city, Winston cigarettes and Salem cigarettes. Okay, and so the the structural inequity became apparent to me first. The economic inequity became apparent first before the racial inequity, um, and so I began to kind of try to come to grips on the haves and the have-nots as opposed to the blacks and the non-blacks in my paradigm um, and, until I went to college. And then kind of ironically, I went to Washington and Lee University, right? And so, mm. which is right now at the nexus of, of this controversy about uh, 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 the old South and about uh, the antebellum South and about uh, segregation, about, uh, you know, it's at the nexus of it right now. And so when I think about Christian doom and when I think about Christ, you know, one of the things that you said, John, was that it requires honesty, rigorous honesty and open-mindedness and a willingness to look beyond our own individual failings. And I think we have, as a society, gotten further and further away from that as technology has entered into our lives. And so I, I think that technology has shortened our attention span to the point where we don't recognize the majesty and the love of our God. We don't recognize the majesty and love of our Jesus Christ because, mm. because of our short attention span where we are now. Love looks like um, The Bachelor, right? Or love mm. looks like some form that doesn't recognize what Christianity looks like. And so we're in the time now where if, we, if there was a, a smidgen of, of Christian love in American society, it would be helping us deal with all these issues that we have now. But I think agape, the love of Christ has been, has been minimized, denigrated, um, and, and it, it has become uh, erotic love as opposed to agape love. And so we don't understand the very nature of what Christ's love means to us individually and collectively. And so that's taken out of the public square. And so I think mm -hmm. where we are now is a place where uh, we have not ever seen before. Uh, and I think as we get closer and closer to the election or further and further away from the election after uh, the election results are, are, are propagated, then I think you know, we're going to see even more division because right. we have lost this idea of, of rigorous honesty about ourselves, open-mindedness, and understanding truly what, what Christ's love is about. And what's interesting is with the body of Christ, you would think that there would be some common ground that could be found. It's like right now you see between the left and the right, uh, conservative, liberal, Democrat, Republican, whatever you want to call it, 
there seems to be a a line, a chasm between them, they, a span that they can't, uh, a gulf that can't be spanned. And we don't see any way that those two sides can find some common ground. But it's even, it looks that way from what we understand to be the body of Christ as well, because of that division between on the political side. And the real question for us, and it, it seems to be exacerbated or it seems to play itself out in a racial way in the country. A lot of it is economic and it gets masked as race and it's one of those things that you can't really tease one out of the other in many instances. And so where is the hope? I mean, we know the hope lies with, with Christ and, and he is the final, the, the be all, the end all, but how do we as believers and what we're trying to do with the culture of Christ, how, how can we practically help to uh, span that goal? All right. Well, I, I think we, we span the gulf by being vulnerable in ways that could be dangerous nowadays because people take our kindness for weakness. Um, and it's, it's an opportunity for us to, to reach out across the aisle, so to speak, between black and white and Latina and, and Hispanic and whatever culture there is inside of Christendom. But I think the one thing we have to begin to articulate and to, to, to talk about over and over and over again is the love of Christ. And what does that mean? Not for us on this side of eternity, but on the other side of eternity. Because I think one of the things that we lose sight of in this carnal environment we're in is that this world is not our home, right? And so we always think carnally about love, carnally about where we are now. But if we begin to, to really articulate and to focus on the love of Christ and how that spans eternity and how we are here for a specific purpose, not to fight as Democrats or Republicans, not to be on one side of the aisle or the other, but to be together bound by Christ's love. And until we begin to articulate it and just kind of recite it in our hearts and our minds and in the public square continually, we're going to grow further apart. I think that's exactly right. And, 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 you know, going into that, I think we've got to remind ourselves that the mission to which we're called from the gospel under the best of conditions is, is really hard. It's really difficult. It's really hard to pray for my enemies. It's really hard to offer up the other cheek to somebody who just slapped me. You know, it's, it's really hard to welcome the prodigal son home. It's really difficult to uh, administer to the needs of, of the man on the side of the road when I see so many of my peers just walking by him. All that stuff is, is uh, it's, it's difficult beyond description under the best of conditions. And I think it's fair for us to say that we're not under the best of conditions right now. There's a there there was a professor at the Lexington Theological Seminary who used to in, in Lexington, Kentucky, who used to say, if you're a Christian and you find it easy, then you're probably not doing it right. And I think there's so much truth in that. Um, but I think what we're offered, provided that we're that we're open minded enough to receive it, what we're offered is is um, is the most genuine of all hope. And if, uh, you know, John mentioned vulnerability and, and its misperception of weakness, and, and I, think that's, I think that's so true. Um, but the stakes are higher now than they have been in my lifetime. And, and I think that all of us, regardless of our political persuasion, our denominational affiliation, if we self-identify as a member of the body of Christ, we have to be rigorously honest, open-minded, and willing to uh, depart from our, I mean, to use an overused term, to depart from our comfort zone and to step right out of it and to, and, and to be trusting, um, more trusting than Peter was when Jesus called him out to walk on the water. We've got to, you know, we've got to be willing to to step and to know, uh, as we step onto the water, that 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 we're not in our own care, you know, we're not creating our own security. We're in the care of a loving God who promises us uh, to uh, that that God will walk alongside us every step of every difficult path we have. 
And and what we have now is um, is a unifying purpose within the body of Christ of modeling unconditional love in ways that we've never thought about before. Uh, we have a unifying purpose of being the face and the hands and the feet and the voice and the ears of Jesus in ways that we've never been presented with before. And, um, and that opportunity, if we, if we look at it on those terms, it's really exciting. Right. When, you know, one of the things that really breaks my heart when we see this divide is the divide in within the body of Christ. And you see both sides, particularly on the racial divide in terms of police brutality and, and, and justice, Republican, Democrat, whatever you may have, of people who are self-identifying as Christians who are taking the exact opposite stance on the way that they see things and, and both blaming one another. And basically saying that I'm right and you're wrong. And I'm not so naive to think that most of the world wars that we've had over the history of man has been somebody taking what they believe God said and putting it on the flag and moving forward. So this is not, there's nothing new on the sun as it relates to this. But we as believers, I think we have to move towards the center of where we think the common ground is with those who we may disagree with because we can disagree but we don't have to be disagreeable and i'm working on this piece for the culture of christ where there are uh, there's a worship service down at jefferson square park here in louisville where all the protesters gather uh regarding the brianna taylor protest they call it brie what they've renamed it breeway hashtag breeway and there's a young lady and some worshipers and some Christians that I met down there. And they are having the most phenomenal spiritual experiences of their lifetime in terms of coming together with people that they never thought that they would ever share space with. And the whole Breonna Taylor uh, thing brought them together. But they've also met people who came there with the exact opposite who were protesting on the other side. And but the love of Christ brought them together to be able to understand and deal with one another from one standpoint and agree but not be disagreeable. And you're right, uh, uh, John Miller, that you, you have to be you have to be vulnerable and you have to put yourself out there and, and expect that when you go out without a safety net, that the love of God through Christ is going to catch you and not allow you to fall. And if you and if you do fall, it will protect you so that you can get up again. And like I said, it really hurt. It it hurts me, and that's one of the reasons that uh, I wanted to start the culture of Christ. Because um, John Mark, you remember one of the things we talked about very early on is is getting in a, a van and driving to churches, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you know, yep. black churches, white churches, and you and me, this white guy and this black guy who went to high school together, coming out and asking people a lot of questions about. You know how what does love god love your neighbor as yourself mean to you and your parishioners and how does how do you contextualize that within people across town who may not look like you and how do you actualize that in your life and you know once we get past COVID, i still want to do that because i think that's what god is calling us to do not to stay separate but to go out on faith and and unite the body of christ because the body of christ is not is not it's not separated. We're separating it in our own minds. That's right. Well, it's, it's not separated, but it's not unified either. And so, <laughs> uh, in a matter of fact, it's splintered to the, to the point where people point to Christians and saying, if you are going to be like this, why would I want to be like this? Right. And so mm-hmm. there's, there's one thing in John Mark's uh, uh, big white lie piece that One sentence that's, to me, kind of at the nexus of where we are and where we aren't, uh, where we are and and where we aren't, meaning we're not there yet. And and, and it says, I have been willing to listen, learn, and sustain my involvement until the structural foundation supporting the big white lie is replaced by the Lord's foundation of truth and love. And so that is is a lot of work, right? That is... Mm. That is, you know, the song that comes to mind is Onward Christian Soldiers, right? Because it's going to take a movement of people, you know, not literally locking arms, but locking arms in a way that demonstrates to people that the love of Christ is sustainable among 
people who don't look like each other because we all look Christ, but we've got to demonstrate it. Everything now is show me, right? Everything now is on the web, Twitter, you know, TikTok, which is a, is a huge distraction. Uh, but, you know, we have to show people that it's that we're capable of this. And so the idea of going out on Sunday mornings, you two in a van, uh, uh, doing reporting, doing work, showing the body of Christ that it is possible. It may sound like a little thing, but I think, I think that kind of demonstration is what's needed now to give people a sense that um, there is a, a necessity and an opportunity for structural change through the, the truth and love of Christ, but we have to, we have to uh, show it uh, and demonstrate it as often as we can. Yeah, and you make that change yeah. one person at a time. Yeah, that's yeah, that's exactly right. That's that's uh, that's exactly right. And and we have to recognize that that one person at a time change is the only change that that's available to us. We uh, we don't have the power of God to sweep our hands and bring creation into existence, and you know, over a, a, a limited time period. We, but we do have unlimited opportunities each and every day uh, to be that representative that we're called to be. And, um, you know, uh, I, Andre and I were talking a little while ago, uh, uh, just briefly about, uh, the CS Lewis book, uh, the screw tape letters and, and Wormwood, you know, I'm sure many of the listeners have read the screw tape letters and, and Wormwood is the, the uncle and senior demon who is, um, mentoring his nephew and and um i'm sorry screw tape is the is the uncle and senior demon and and wormwood is the 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 protege the nephew of the uncle and the uncle tells the nephew that the most effective way that he can deal with his clients that is us uh the people that are subjected to the powers of our spiritual enemies the most effective thing he can do is to get us to be to be worried about the future. And and the reason he he says that he says, because when we get them worried about the future, then we know that they are truly wasting time. And if we can get them to waste time, then we've taken away the gift, the greatest gift that's been afforded them. And and where we are today is in a state of such distraction by um, by political issues, by points of difference, that we're all engaged in this great collective waste of time. And, and uh, to the extent that we allow ourselves to be sucked into um, uh, our, our, our divisions, those divisions are just points of distraction. And I'm a firm believer. And I think, I think, you know, our text clearly shows us that agreement begets agreement and it doesn't take a monumental agreement for me me to be able to build or or to walk across a bridge that god can construct between me and somebody with whom i have great ideological theological moral ethical ethnic uh, linguistic difference Uh, it doesn't take much at all it only takes Again, that open-mindedness, honesty, and willingness to recognize that there is one God, and I'm not it, and that God is capable of creating connections between people that seem so far apart, it's unimaginable, and that if I acknowledge that, that connection, there's unlimited power in, in, uh, in even the smallest of agreements between uh, me and somebody from whom I perceive myself to be uh, divided from. You know, you made a, a very important point there about the distractions. And as humans, we get distraction. It takes us, particularly as believers, off of the course of what it is that God uh, has in store for us and has promised us and what it is that our purpose here on earth is. And in the time of COVID, since March, a lot of the distractions that have plagued us in our daily lives have been taken away from us because the entertainment industry has basically gone dark for a period of time. And sports are just now coming back, but they are, they're not in the same form. So the things that we're sort of used to being sort of Novocaine to our pain were, were taken away from us. And it made many of us sort of 
step back for a second and be introspective about where we find ourselves and what's important and what's not important. And then George Floyd happened. And if George Floyd had happened at the same time last year, I don't think that it would have made as much of a sweeping of what was going on because if you, and I hate to say it this way, if for, for that particular um, incident of police brutality, it was the best one to happen when it did because of the taking the distractions away, because it proved a certain thing about it that you couldn't sort of excuse away. And everybody was paying attention at that moment because there was nothing else to pay attention to. And so mm -hmm. you can see how now most people in the country, if not around the world, they paid attention to that and they took a stance one side or the other on it, but mainly on George Floyd. I don't think there's anybody to saying, Hey, you know, this, you know, he contributed to his own death. And if they did, I mean, it's that's, you got to really be locked into something different on that end. And so when you take the distractions <laughs> away and you, you get an opportunity to see things for what they really are, you can have a profound effect on what's going on. So as we move forward, one of the things that I've tried to do, and I'd be interested in you two gentlemen's take on this, is to keep certain distractions out of my life because I've learned to live without them. And take that time and move it into what it is that God is calling me to do and try to be more vulnerable and try to take the love of Christ and try to deal with loving God and loving my neighbor as myself. Because as long as I'm continued to, as long as I continue to be distracted, I can't necessarily do what it is that God is calling me to do at the level that he needs me to do it. You're right about the Both of you are right about the, the lack of distractions. Uh, but I also think that that, that with the, the weight of COVID and George Floyd and even the, 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 the hurricanes that have besieged kind of the, the Gulf Coast of the country, people have are now kind of at emotional fatigue, right? Yeah. And so when we're mm -hmm. trying to, to get them to unlearn some things in order to learn some new things, it's even more difficult right. because they have to unpack where they are now and then to, to step into something new. But I think there is an opportunity in that. But that opportunity comes, I think, what in what John Mark said is those small individual interactions, right, where we can meet people where they are and show them, demonstrate to them the love of Christ in a way that is transformative. And as as Christ did with his working of of parables and of miracles and of of touching individuals, yes, he did he did the the five thousand, but most of his interactions with those whose lives he transformed were individual acts of love. Right. One-on-one. On one. Um, yeah. That's right. And so right. that's, if, if we can begin to practice that in a, in a holistic way by saying to, to ourselves, no matter how vulnerable we might be, reach out to somebody and touch them where they are and show them the love that they need. Right. Sometimes we're, we're headlong into showing, you know, those who uh, we want to minister to what we believe is the only way to minister to them. But in a large part, you know, we have to meet them where they are. Uh, and that's individually really listening, as, as you said, John Mark, and understanding that we have to deconstruct the foundation of where they are now in order to rebuild their foundation in love and in trust. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you're, you're right, John, because the, the George Floyd thing happened very early on when the distractions were taken away and everybody was trying to figure out what they were going to do and what this meant. Now we're, now we're at such a point, like you said, so many things are happening. It's a little bit of a PTSD thing going on for the nation in terms of what's next. What else? I mean, how can we deal with it? one more thing? You got fires, you got hurricanes. I mean, if you're looking at this from a big biblical standpoint, you're thinking, Oh my God, you know? And so, yeah, the, the individual one person at a time. And that's one of the things that, I try to do in my writing is when I write it, that one person may actually be me, you know, in terms mm -hmm. of the, the yeah. words that God is giving me to write. Because a lot of times when I sit down to write, particularly for the culture of Christ, these are not my words. These are words that are being, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm doing my best to be a vessel. And I may be the person that needs to hear it, but, but I, I try to write not only just for that, for me to hear, but as one person out there that needs to or hear it, and within that, I'm, I'm very mindful of that. But I also think of it in terms of 
the amount of energy it takes to write something to reach one person and everybody in the world is basically the same. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and if you deal with it differently, then that's on you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So if you just if someone told you that you're doing this presentation and the whole world is going to see you, you need to prepare for it. Or you're doing this presentation for one person, particularly as it relates to the word. If you change it, if you know if you don't know the person, you might tailor it to the person specifically. But if you do, if you change it, then that says something more about you than it is does about what God is calling you to do. And I th I think a big part of what what we're talking about comes back to um, the notion of trust and and who and and uh, clearly identifying who is it that I trust. I've got I've got a lifelong track record of reasons not to trust myself and my own judgment. Uh, my my driving record in my own life, uh, when I try to put myself in the driver's seat, it's not very good. Uh, I, I, I inevitably go off the road and oftentimes into the ditch. But when I trust, uh, when I'm trusting enough to, uh, to move over and to, uh, and to let God do the driving, um, then the results always, without exception, always exceed my expectations. And whether it's when I'm writing and trusting that what I write is what God intends for me to write, when I'm trusting that God is going to use that uh, in the way that that God sees fit, not not how I see fit, but in how in 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 uh, for the purpose that God has for it. Uh, when I trust that my uh, small engagements with people over the course of my day uh, uh, will, provided that I'm following what I'm called to, I'm following being the the face and, and feet and hands of Jesus, when I trust in that truth, that, that essential truth in my life, then I can, I can have an assurance that the impact of those engagements, whether it's with the checkout clerk when I'm getting gas or uh, passing the neighbor on the street or somebody that I'm engaging with professionally, when I'm, when I'm trusting that, that God's going to magnify the effect of that engagement, it always happens without exception. But on the flip side, when I'm not trusting and I think that I know best, it never happens. And, and uh, what human beings have gotten really good at is making bad situations worse. And what God remains the best at is making something beautiful out of bad situations. And I think that's what we're going to see uh, as we move forward from the George Floyd incident and from the from the loss of so many other lives uh, that were in circumstances comparable to George Floyd's. Um, I think we're going to see God work in the hearts and minds of people and things to be achieved that are so far beyond our expectations, our imagination. Uh, I have to believe that's true. Yeah, I think we... Go ahead, John. I'm sorry. No, no, I, no, I think you're right. We, I, we do have to believe that the best is on the horizon for us because we have gone through a lot. And so I think mm -hmm. with, our, with our belief of where we stand in, in this moment, we have to believe that if we submit ourselves to the Lord, we, we submit ourselves in ways that allow us to be vulnerable, allow us to listen, allow us to reach out, allow us to turn the other cheek, then that, then that will manifest itself because of the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, it's kind of uh, contradictory, right? With all the things that we see happening around us, um, you know, we have to rely on things that we can't physically see to help us through this, which is the, the Holy Spirit and the love of our God. But so many people don't have a way to grasp that concept because it is, you know, it is foreign to them because it is something they cannot see. It is something that, you know, is spiritual. And, and in their lives, it's mostly what they see. It's the carnal aspect of their life that they're, that's driving what they do. Uh, and it drives them off the road, as you just said, John Mark. But it's that daily mm -hmm. spiritual, that daily spiritual uh, uh, understanding or that daily spiritual uh, uh, reach 
for the love of Christ and that changing that foundation that will help uh, us individually and collectively. Uh, but, but it's, it's one person at a time. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and it's, and it's one day at a time too. Yes. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's one, it's, it's, uh, uh, you know, another thing that C.S. Lewis said that I think is so beautiful is uh, he said, the present moment is the only point in time that touches eternity. And, and to the extent that we can recognize and practice that, not be bogged down by the past, not be tied up in fret and anxiety and worry about the future, but the extent to which we can recognize that the present moment is the only time that we can be in full contact uh, with the God of our understanding then um, um, then I'm on the right path. Right. Then I'm in the right place. Yeah, I call that the, uh, our perpetually moving series of nows. That's all we have. Mm. Yeah, Perpetually yeah. moving series of nows. And when we can really, really be present in the present, that's where God is for us and what mm -hmm. we can do. Because what you two gentlemen have said in terms of how we intellectualize and think about what it is that we are to do as believers, I believe that there are many believers, most believers who are really having this sort of same thought process. But the real question is, is how do you get outside of yourself to do it and work concentrically outward? It's not, it's not a new or novel concept. It's throughout the New Testament and the Bible in terms of what we're to do. But the question is, why do we not see it? And I think the reason is that we don't see it is not because it's not happening. It's because the narrative that is being told is being, that's either being ignored or we're focusing too much on, on the other side of the ledger. Because uh, I, just, mm -hmm. I just wrote a piece for the undefeated for, for, for uh, John at ESPN where I decided to look for good news in a story where you could actually find a lot of bad news. And there's, mm -hmm. enough, there's enough stories being told on the, on the bad side. And so go look for it. You don't have to go, it's there, go find it and mm -hmm. tell it. Because if you want people to do good things, you should tell good things. We have enough, we have enough going right. on right now where bad things are happening because they're listening to, reading, seeing bad things happen. You know, that the uh, history is replete with that. But if we do the same thing on the other ledger, then we, we can expect good things to happen when we tell good stories, because life is really one big story. The way we yeah, engage mm -hmm. with the world, that's what the Bible is. It's a story. The way we engage with the world is through storytelling. And if we as believers are to actually make a difference in the world, then our story about how we live out Christ and the example that God gave us in him in the Bible we have to live that story out and we have to tell that story every chance we get. And, and it's not even about using words. It's about living it out. And we need to find people who are doing the same thing and tell that story over and over again. And that's what the culture of Christ is all about. And those are the stories we're looking for. Shameless plug here, right? We want to, yeah, that's right. We want to tell yeah. those stories. We want those right. stories because people need to hear the stories because if you don't hear them, I mean, bad news sells, right? What's the old, what's the old thing? Bad news gets before good news gets out of bed, or something as a whole. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bad news travels well, around I mean, the world. For, yeah. What is? Yeah, it? and and I mean, just to put it in in slightly different terms, I, I I believe I believe firmly that division is a business model. <laughs> Division is a business model, and it's been a business model for, for the better part of our, our, our time on Earth, but it's, it's been a much refined business model in the past 40 years, and, and there is big money in division, and it can feel so overwhelming because there's so much divisiveness and division, and, they, and, the, and the differences seem so deep and so, uh, so unapproachable. Um, but what I have to constantly remind myself is that if, if division is, is a business model, then that's all it is. Right. And it, it, it pales in comparison to a God of limitless love and grace and mercy. Right. You know, yeah. it, it pales in comparison to a God that, 
it offers me um, all that God offers me. It, it's, it's small. It's finite. It's not the overwhelming force present in my life and present on earth. It's just people trying to make a buck. Yeah. And, 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 and unfortunately, they're having greater success today than they have in, in, in many years. And that division you speak of with the business model is so true. Because it's not just division for decision's sake. It's actually a binary division. Because mm-hmm. as as you can mm-hmm. split, if you can split things in two, you can sell the thing and then the anti-thing. So you can sell something to everyone. That's right. right? As right. long as you right. have two, you can sell, right? You can, you sell, can sell the disease and the antidote. And so, yeah, so we understand it. And you're, you're absolutely right, Jean-Marc. It's, it's a business model. And what is a business model? It's a way to make money. And mm-hmm. we understand that this isn't about money. It's about, it's about the love of Christ because God said he will provide us everything that we need and we have to we have to take him at his promise but the world will tell you you need something that you may not need and as long as you're fooled into thinking that that's what it is then you will be deprived in your own mind and so yeah so this is it's been a very fruitful discussion I want to you know get us to the point where we start wrapping up here but because we've gone on a little while but Really appreciate you coming on here, John Mark. But as we close up, what are some of the things? Let's let's be uh, practical and solution oriented about where we find ourselves. Here we are, uh, October thirteenth, and we're you know two three weeks away from the election, and and where we find ourselves in this country is going to be a major change one way or the other in terms of where. And there's going to be a lot of people who are not happy with the result because we do have this sort of binary thing going on in the United States right now. And so what, what are we as believers to do, you know, personally, and then as we work out concentrically to live out the love of, of Christ, to love God, love our neighbors as ourselves, no matter what the outcome of this thing is, what can we do to create more of the unity and get, call that false business model out for what it is, that false binary narrative that's going out. What can we do? And what can we encourage, encourage our listeners to do? Well, I can give you, I mean, I can answer that in, in one word. And, uh, and I can only speak from my own experience, strength, and hope. Um, and I can tell you what works for me day in and day out. And I start my day doing it, and I do it throughout, throughout the course of the day multiple times, and I do it before I go to bed at night. And that one word is surrender. I have to, I have to constantly remind myself that it's beyond my pay grade to be in control. It's, it's beyond my qualification to, to know exactly what the right next step is, unless I'm living in full surrender. And, and uh, I start my days, I start my days every day on my knees. And, and I, I, I pray a very simple prayer of surrender that I repeat multiple times a day. And if I'm living my life in full surrender, God honors that, and and it's just amazing how it happens on a day to day basis in the most unexpected of ways, and um, and and I'm faithful to it, and I'm grateful that I'm at a point in my life that I understand it. But I think first and foremost, we have to surrender our, our anxieties and fears. We have to surrender our desire to control the uncontrollable. We have to surrender our desire to to be right, and and uh, uh, you know relative to people with whom we disagree, um, we have to surrender our lives to to God to allow God to shape us into um, um, the parts of God's creation that God intends for us to be. You know, John Mark, you're you're exactly on point. In our, in our Bible study at my church, uh, the last six weeks through the end, the last part of the summer and into the fall, we've been um, been doing uh, not a fan, uh, the book and workbook by Kyle Eidelman, um, and, mm-hmm. and so his his main focus is surrender. His main focus is understanding that in order to not to be a fan, but to be a follower, we have to surrender ourselves to Christ. We have to surrender who we are 
to a point where we discard the earthly things, the narcissistic things, the materialistic things in this world, and then to follow him. And so that prayer, the surrender, is the first thing that we can do. Very, very difficult for most of us now in a narcissistic kind of me too, swipe, swipe, swipe world, but that is critically important. The other thing that I would say uh, uh, as, a, as a minister uh, is that we have to recognize who, what we're dealing with too, right? And so Paul mm -hmm. says in Ephesians chapter 6 that, you know, our struggle is not just against flesh and blood, but against right. the rulers, yep. authorities, right. and the powers of the dark world in, in the spiritual and the heavenly realms. And so recognizing what we're capable of is, is hugely important to surrender, but also recognizing that the battle is not ours, it's the Lord's in some ways, and that we have to put on the armor of God to recognize if we're going out there to, to, to be a disciple, to, 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 to uh, use the word of God in ways, the love of God in ways that's going to be transformative, then we're, we're going to be in for a battle. Uh, and so to surrender to God's love and protection and understanding what we're headed toward is important because otherwise, you know, it's, it's, we're not going to be up for the task. So uh, you're right, right John. you got to surrender. And, and I'll, I'll end with a couple of things. A, a dear friend of mine passed away um, a few weeks ago, Stanley Crouch. And Stanley Crouch, the cultural critic, a lot of people said a lot of bad things about him when he passed because he was, he could be a sourpuss, right? But one of the things that he, whenever he signed a book or whenever he um, sent an email or, or correspondence of some sort, he would, he at the bottom of the email or the signature, he put, VIA, victory is assured. And so no matter how negative he could be or be perceived, he always looked at it at, in the end, how he ended was victory is assured. And as Christians, we know that the victory has already been won. And so mm -hmm. even though we're in a game where it may look like we're down by a lot in the fourth quarter, but if we really believe that we are going to win, then you mm -hmm. play, you just go out there and play one, you know, one play at a time, you know, yeah. one possession at a time. And that's what we have to do. And the way that I deal with the one possession at a time in my life is two things. Glass half full. You gotta look at you gotta you gotta look at life with eternal optimism, no matter what mm -hmm. the circumstances you find yourself in. Why? Because we've already won. And then two. Mm -hmm is the, and it's really the same thing, it's benefit of the doubt. One of the things that I find myself doing with my friends, it's easy to get into a situation where you agree that something is bad and pile on and have a pity party about how bad the things are. But one of the things I try to do all the time is to find something good about the thing that I disagree with and bring it into the discussion as why are you going down this path with that? Or, or what about this? Have you ever thought about that? And even though I may not necessarily 100% agree with it, it keeps me from getting involved in going down that path. Because no matter how bad the situation may be, or it may look, I know, VIA, we've already won. And so if I mm -hmm. believe that what it is that I know, as a believer, I'm supposed to believe, that mm -hmm. should govern how I find myself right now in my perpetually, perpetually moving series of nows. Because at some point, mm. the, that series is going to stop for me until Christ comes back and right, wraps this up. Mm. I hope I'm here when he does come back. But if I'm not, it's going to stop. And then a second later, when he comes back to wrap it up, then there'll be the victory parade. Mm -hmm. Amen. So, um, <laughs> so there we are. So John Mark, hey, man, really appreciate you coming on and spending some time with us. I think this was a very fruitful discussion. It's the kind of discussion we need to continue to have. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're part of the, 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 the seminal group of Culture of Christ. Uh, you were there from the beginning. I appreciate you. I love you, brother. Um, brother John X. Miller, let you have the last word on here as the co-founder of Culture of Christ in this podcast. That we're, doing. <laughs> we, 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 well, we're just now getting off the ground, but you know, here we come, amen. world. You know, all I would say is that, you know, the Lord has given us gifts and a glass half full. Uh, and so we're going to take it and, and 
do what we do with the love of Christ foremost in our hearts and understanding that our neighbor is everybody. Our neighbor is just not the person mm-hmm. who lives beside us, but our neighbor is somebody who lives a world apart from us, politically, geographically, economically, and we need to reach them in ways that they hear about the love of Christ and are drawn to that love of Christ in their daily lives. Amen. All right. Amen. Honored to be with you guys. Love you both. I appreciate it. Indeed. It was, it was a blessing to be with you tonight. All right. Take care. Great is thy faithfulness. Oh, God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changes not thy compassion, they fail not. And as thou hast been thou forever. The Culture of Christ podcast is a production of Culture of Christ. You can find us at cultureofchrist.org. We encourage you to go to the site and join our mailing list. Or better yet, consider becoming a member to help support us in our efforts to help us all to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. The theme song from the podcast is Great Is Thy Faithfulness by Grammy-nominated group The Baylor Project from their album The Journey on Be A Light Records. Check them out at thebaylorproject.com. Thank you for joining in. God bless, and we hope you'll tune in again soon. Harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above. Join with all nature in manifold witness to the